today. I have a very, I told Sister Sharon a moment ago, um, I didn't tell her how long I've been preaching, but I've been preaching for 38 years now. And I know the first thought that comes to the mind of most of you is that you'd think you'd be better after doing it for 38 years. <laughs> but I'm nervous today. I'm nervous because of what I know this word can do in the lives of I'm going to preach to dots first. And I'm going to preach to my church family, but I'm going to filter it through these ladies first. That's a privileged opportunity that I have for them to be in service with us. And I know of the impact that this word can make on your heart and life when the Holy Spirit writes it on the tablet of your heart. And certainly it's for every one of us here today. And I, I came down early. I was late for breakfast at the Brown household yesterday with family in because I came to church just to be with the Lord on a Saturday morning and to just let the Lord write this on the tablet of my heart. And my nervous energy today is because if it preaches through me the way that God preached it in me, I'm telling you, there'll be change that's worked in the lives of God's people. I just really believe that today. And oddly enough, it comes to us from a very familiar story. How many of you know that God can take the familiarity, something that is as close to us as a Sunday school lesson when we were children, when in those days they used to put figure images up on those boards, you know, and pin them there, you know, and uh, from there. So that, that's one of those stories I can guarantee you was on that board at one time, and that's the story we're going to look at today. We're going to read two verses of Scripture to open with today, there'll be a couple of additional scriptures along the way um, that will be put on the screen. There's not going to be a lot on the screen. One of our traditions here at First Assembly is we ask you to stand and honor the reading of scripture. We're going to read two verses. We're going to commence in the Psalms today. Now, this is Psalm not penned particularly by David, but there's a reference to him here that I love Psalm 78. It's a very lengthy psalm. There's 72 verses in it. I can read it if you'd like for me to today. But instead, I'm going to choose one verse of Scripture, the 70th verse. I like to hear those pages turn instead of just the screen slide. He chose David, also his servant. And he took him from the sheepfold. Let's read it again. Let's just read it. It's simple, but let's read it. He chose David, also his servant, and he took him from the sheepfold. Now we're going to back up to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to read one verse of Scripture. The 13th verse. Now, I'm going to elaborate a lot from the 16th chapter. We're going to... Focus our attention. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. I'm going to wait till the pages stop turning because I want everybody to, to have it right there. I want you to have it. If you found it, say amen. amen. Let's read this 13th verse one more time. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So, 
Here's a thought that I have for you that the Lord has put on my heart when I knew that I would complete a five-week teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit by narrowing it in a certain direction for today. And then when the phone call came or the text message that the Daughters of the Other Side was coming, it really seemed like the Lord brought great clarity to my heart of the direction for this service. And it's found kind of in the context, the revelation and the title. It's a simple title to the sermon, but it has such a depth to it that if you can, if, if the Spirit of the Lord gives you the revelation, and this title is more than just on a screen at our church, but it's written on the tablet of your heart of who you are in Christ Jesus, that's when you'll never be the same again. I don't care who you are. Because the title of the message today is Chosen and Anointed. Chosen and Anointed. Let's pray. Father, I'm so humble to be here. Intimidated by the presence of God. Perhaps God forbid that I wouldn't be intimidated by the presence of God. I'm so grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit that's already present as people worshiped you so freely, so freely today, but especially to these ladies, though, Father. God, I believe in the preaching of the Word of God to carry as much impact as the sovereign move of the Holy Spirit that took place just a few moments ago, because the Scripture says your words are spirit and they are life. I pray today for a divine unction. Who will pray that with me right now? That God, that preaching will come easy in this house. The scripture says that you would give me the tongue of the learned that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. But the scripture also says, Father, that the heart, Father God, can be parchment upon which the revelation of truth can be inscribed. And I pray upon the heart of every listener today, whether it be the ladies that have traveled from from Searcy to be with us here today, or our church family that have come from their homes scattered throughout the countryside. Lord God, but today, today, let there be divine revelation through the simplicity of this subject matter, chosen and anointed. I submit myself to that anointing, God, in Jesus' name, and all of God's children said, Amen and amen. And thank you so much for honoring the Lord. And you can be seated today. I'm so appreciative of your honoring the word of God today each and every week. So let me, if you'll allow me for just a few moments here to backtrack. But I believe it's very important to understand the context of the scripture text that we read a moment ago. Obviously, it's already been revealed that we're going to be looking at the life of King David. Now, I'm preaching through ladies that are here today. And I want to say this to the ladies, first of all. You can't fail to look at what God did in David's life and then did through him and not identify with it because he's male and you're female. You have to just simply say what God did in David and for David, he can do in me. The text comes to us just real quickly. Let me build it if I can for a moment of time. 
in the history of ancient Israel during a time when they were unsettled. They were unsettled. They were in the promised land. They were gone past the time of the judges, and the prophets are beginning to arise. Samuel, the young boy who was lent to the Lord from a young child, was raised up in the tabernacle, being foster-parented by Eli the priest. The Scripture tells us of how that God begins to elevate Samuel to the level of a prophetic voice that begins to mark Israel. He becomes the most viable, vibrant voice in the land. And, uh, but towards the end of his life, as he's an aged prophet, his sons were appointed as judges uh, by him personally, but they didn't carry the same integrity that Samuel did, and they were taking bribes of people to pass judgment. And it caused the people to groan, and they groaned for something. They wanted a king. They wanted a king to reign over them like all the other nations that were about them. And I'll tell you what, number one, that's a dangerous moment to be when you're trying to be like everybody else. Right? There's, there's a difference. God had chosen Israel to be distinctly different. They wanted a king. God said to Samuel the prophet, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. And, uh, but I want you to give them the thing that they desired. And so through a series of prophetic events and prophetic revelations, Saul, the son of Kish, the son of Benjamin, was chosen. The scripture says Saul is head and shoulders above his brethren. And, um, and his, his, his journey is pretty impactful early on. You can read about it. Uh, God uses him. He responds. The spirit of God comes upon Saul and, uh, and he is used initially early into his uh, time as the, the monarch of Israel, the first monarch of ancient Israel. But if, you've, if you'll read the text from 1 Samuel chapter number 10 approximately to around 15, you'll see that things started to happen in Saul's life. He begins to not fully trust the Lord, trusting in himself. And, and then there's a pivotal moment when God gives him very strict instruction of what he's to do in warfare on the Amalekites. God is pronouncing judgment upon the Amalekites, and he fails to heed the Lord's direction. And as a result, the prophetic word once again comes to Samuel and says, I have rejected Saul from being king over my people. And that hurt the heart of Samuel because Samuel had, had really followed uh, Saul and had, had believed in him. And, and he really didn't even want to tell him, but he was forced to. He was, impromptu, he was prompted to by the Holy Spirit. And, and so he goes to Saul, and he tells him that the Lord has uh, rent the kingdom away from you. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a very painful passage of scriptures, especially that 15th chapter there. And, uh, and, and Saul, the Bible says Samuel, from that day forward, goes to see Saul no more. Up until that time, Samuel was a point of counsel. He's a place that he could come to for predictive events in the future. But after that moment, the scripture says that Samuel didn't go to see him any longer. And then, but Samuel's tore up about it. Samuel's grieving over Saul. And the Lord comes to him in the 16th chapter, and this is where the recording begins. And I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to read the text, I'm just going to elaborate to it. And he speaks to, to Samuel, the Lord speaks to Samuel, and he says, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king? You know, lift yourself up. There's a new day, there's another day. I've got somebody else, somebody better. Someone who's after my heart. And so he tells him, he said, I want you to do this. Gives him very strict instruction. I want you to go to a small rural community that's just about four miles south of Jerusalem. 
which that wasn't, it was Jerusalem, I guess, in those days, but it wasn't the capital as of yet. But nonetheless, it was a city called Bethlehem, and there was a man there, a renowned man uh, named Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that he said, I have chosen one of his sons to be my king, and I want you to take a horn of oil with you, and he said, and I want you to fill it with oil, and I want you to anoint him to be king. And so Samuel does exactly as he's instructed. He takes what we would call a horn of oil, which is most likely a ram's horn that has been uh, fleshed out and the fleshly material removed and dried and capped on both ends, but, but with the ability to pour oil in it. He was to take that horn of oil with him at his side and go to the city and proclaim a feast. And when he arrives at the city, the city trembles at the presence of the prophet of God. Oh, I'll look for those days again, don't you? Uh, the city trembles at the presence of this man of God, the prophet of God, when he comes. And he says, we've simply come to have a feast. And he calls Jesse to the, to the feast. Jesse, it's unbeknownst to him of why. And then he calls his sons. And, and when Samuel sees the sons of, of Jesse appear in front of him, his eyes catches the firstborn. And typically when you think about a monarchy, you often think of the firstborn. His name is Eliab. He's tall, akin to Saul. He's taller than most of the other brethren. He's a good-looking young man, his stature, his appearance, his countenance. And, and in his heart, Samuel in his heart says, Surely, surely the Lord's anointed is in front of me. But God whispers in the ears of the prophet and says to the prophet, He said, No, that's not the one. He said, Don't look on the outside. He said, Man looks on the outside. But God looks on the heart. Come on, somebody. And so then the next son, I believe his name was Abinadab. He stands in front of him. He too carries similar physical attributes, characteristics, to the degree that once again Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's. And the Lord says, I haven't chosen him. That's actually the language there in that text of Scripture. In the 8th verse of that 16th chapter, it says, neither hath the Lord chosen chosen this. So the third son passes in front of Samuel, and, and his name is Shammah, and he passes by. And once again, notice the words, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Verses 8 through 10 tell us the narrative that one by one, from the eldest son, number one, all the way to the seventh son, they pass singularly in front of the prophet only for the prophetic voice of God to speak in his heart and say, I have not chosen this. And Samuel is perplexed. And he says, have I missed the Lord? And he turns to Jesse and he says, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse said, yeah, I've got one, but I didn't even think that it was worthwhile to call him to the feast because he's the youngest of all. He's still out in the sheepfold watching the sheep. And Samuel said, we are not going to sit down. We are not going to sit down. We are not going to break bread together and celebrate the goodness of the Lord until you call him. And they send word to the field, and young David comes out of the field, fresh from keeping his father's sheep, most likely not even to have time to go and be cleaned up. And the moment that the man of God lays his eyes on this young lad, that the Bible does say this, that he's ruddy, King James English primarily means reddish or auburn hair, and that he is of a beautiful countenance. But the moment that the eyes of the prophet lays on him, the Spirit of God speaks to his heart and says these words, Arise 
and anoint this one, for this is the one. Now, what I want to talk to you about for just a moment of time is this. Before David was anointed, the text we read, he was chosen. Let me, let me elaborate upon that for a moment. There's something I want to tell you about God today. And that is God in his sovereignty can choose who he desires. Let me just say it again. God chooses. He chooses. He chose Abraham when he was in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, Mesopotamia, and brought him to a land that wasn't his, but God said, I'm going to give it to you because God reserved the right to choose. God chose his son Jacob, who he would rename Israel, to multiply the promised seed that was given to Abraham. God chose Moses when he was in Pharaoh's court being trained up to be perhaps the heir apparent to the throne of Egypt. But God chose him when he had fled to Midian. God found him there through a burning bush. God chose him to be a deliverer to the people of Israel. God chose that chose Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood. You couldn't just get up one day in Israel and say, I want to be a priest today. No, if you weren't of the lineage of the Aaronic household, you could not be a priest. God had chosen Aaron. And the text that we read, Psalm 78, verse number 70, said God chose David. Correct? Well, later, God chose a city called Jerusalem that he chose to put his name there. How many of you know that Jesus was the chosen one? Jesus had followers of his. Of those many hundreds of followers, the Bible plainly says that he chose 12 to be his apostles or his disciples, correct? As a matter of fact, when he was conversing with them, he said this. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, later, there's a minister who had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus on a road called the road to Damascus, that it was blinded. And for three days he sat blinded in the, the city of Damascus when the Lord speaks to one of his servants named Ananias to go to a man by the name of Saul, who we know now as Paul. But remember what Ananias said about Saul, what the Lord said to Ananias. He said, he's a chosen vessel to me. Why am I saying all that? God can choose. And he doesn't have to ask anybody for permission. He doesn't need to take a vote. It's not a democratic republic that God reigns over. Are you out there? It's a theocracy. He's the king of all his creation. And he reserves the sovereign right to choose. Now, as you hear me minister on this, you may uh, may ask, well, Pastor Brown, I don't understand all things related to the theology of God choosing. I understand that. Theologians can complicate matters pretty quickly. And make it so uh, difficult to understand so we can't even get the truth that God wants us to have. I don't know. We've got all kinds of different doctrines folded in about God choosing the sovereignty of God. Calvinism, irresistible grace. Does man have a free will? Can we resist God's wooing and pulling? Or do we have no ability to resist his wooing and pulling? I don't know. And I, I don't know about all those things. And you say, well, Pastor, but the list that you listed off to me is pretty profound. You started with Abraham, and you ended with the Apostle Paul. What does that have to do with me seated here today? Well, the Apostle Paul, in writing, gives us a revelation that was given to him. And I want to just drop a couple of his scriptures that the Lord used him to give us in the scriptures. And in Ephesians chapter 1, here's what Paul had to say about you. I know what we, don't, he's, he's, we said previously about them, but what about you? According, 
as he, being God through Christ, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Let's read one more verse of scripture, all from the same pen. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13. God hath from the beginning, from the beginning, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. I may have not given that verse, but I'm going to read. I think it's there. There it is. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. God chose you. Now, I'm preaching on the front two rows to some ladies that it's obvious to us by being at Daughters of the Other Side that you have wrestled at some point in time in your past with addictions. And here's the reality of this. By virtue of your profession of faith in Christ, that at some point in time in the past, you were troubled and in bondage to addiction. You have been abused, and you are now abusing, all the while not knowing that the God of all grace had chosen you to be his daughter. God had chosen you. You were in darkness. That revelation had not been known, made known to you. And so therefore, others took advantage of you and you took advantage of others. But the moment that you begin to understand that in your darkest hour, God came to you by the light of his love and by the power of his grace to reveal that before he formed the world, he chose you to be his daughter. Come on, somebody. And when you get that revelation inside of you that you've been chosen by God, then you won't say, I chose to follow the Lord. No, he chose me. God chose me. He looked past this one and he looked past that one. I hate to say it, but when you read that story about David, he went past Eliab, he went past Abinadab, he went past Shammah, and the Lord didn't choose them. But when the moment the prophet laid eyes on David, the revelation, he had been chosen by God. <laughs> Let me tell you, that, that, that moment affected David for the rest of his life. When David began to understand the revelation that he had been cha chosen before the Lord, it changed everything about him. If you will leap ahead in time, if you'll allow me to do so for a moment, and it will you as well, you'll handle yourself differently, you'll walk differently, you'll talk differently, and you will act differently, and you will worship differently when you have the revelation that God chose you by the power of His grace. He chose to redeem you out of darkness, draw you out of sin and wickedness and iniquity, and to give you the wonders of His grace, which works on the inside and then manifests itself on the outside of you. And many years later, the prophet David, that when he was just, at that time, he's just a shepherd boy. But the time I'm going to tell you about now, I'm going to jump ahead in time. He is now the king of Israel, and he has longed for the Ark of the Covenant to come to the house of God, a tent at that time that he had pitched for it in the city of Jerusalem. And if you know anything about that story, when the Ark is being carried upon the shoulders of the Levitical priest, and they're marching every six steps, they stop and offer sacrifice, and David has gone in front of the ark and he is out of his mind. He is dressed in nothing but a linen ephod. He's laid aside his, or his kingly robe. He's taken his crown off. He's got nothing but almost a see-through linen ephod and he doesn't care who sees him. He doesn't care who looks upon him. He is leaping and dancing and worshiping before God. 
But did you know that there was a critical woman in his life, his wife, that we're going to get to, we won't talk about all that right now, who looked from the upper casement of her home in Jerusalem and she saw her husband leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her, in her heart. And the Bible says this, that later she confronted David about it. Oh, how worthy was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in sight of all of the other maidens. But if you'll read on your own what David said in response to her about his worship, here's what he said. He said this. He said, it was before the Lord. He said, I wasn't doing it for anybody else. It just didn't matter that other people were around. If they had not been around, I would have still done the same thing because it was before the Lord. But listen to this. Here's what he said. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me over your daddy. That's what, that's what he said. He said it was before the Lord. So that's why I'm going to drop a nugget in your heart to somebody here today. That's why be very, very careful about judging somebody else's worship. Be very, very careful because we have a tendency to say, well, listen, I know what they're still struggling with. I know about the addiction they're still battling or they're going through all of this. And you, say, and you have a tendency to say, well, they ought not to be worshiping like that. No, see, that's a work of grace that is being worked out in their life. And they're not, listen, they're not rejoicing as of yet because they're fully delivered from it. They've got the revelation that God chose them. And because they've got the revelation of God choosing them, then they're going to begin to worship uninhibited by religion that we try to put on you and restrain your worship before God. When you have the divine revelation that He chose you out of darkness, it will change every part of your life. It just will. You're chosen by God. Secondly, but it's not just chosen. It's chosen and anointed. Ha-ha. <laughs> Woo, this is a two-edged sword today, amen. Chosen and anointed. I love that, that the prophet took the horn of oil, poured it on his head. Most likely it wasn't the little dab will do you like we do at church today. But it was that pouring of the oil upon his head until it flowed all the way down on his little raggedy outfit that he had from being with the sheep. And the fragrant oil began to permeate the air. He was now distinct. He was anointed in the midst of his brethren. And if all that we have is the record that the oil from the horn was poured upon David, that'd be good. But it wouldn't be what, my, what I came along to tell you about today. It's the rest of that verse of Scripture. It says, from that day forward, from that day forward, the Spirit of the living God came upon David. Listen to this, from that day forward. Did you know the word anoint means to rub or to pour oil upon? An anointing typically has a twofold purpose. Listen to what it is. Number one is consecration, set apart which is, again, part of being chosen. It's a divine revelation that you've been set apart by God, chosen by the Lord. And so, again, you live life differently when you have that revelation. <laughs> My life is consecrated to Him. I can't do or say or be the person that I always was. I have now been bought with a price. I'm going to glorify God, spirit, soul, and body. Right? So I am consecrated, set apart. But God doesn't just set you apart. He empowers you to fulfill his divine purpose. So now, in the text that we're going to, I won't have you read it. It's too lengthy of a text. You're going to have to allow me to just elaborate upon it, if you will, for just a little while. David was anointed, but he was not yet coronated. 
He was anointed to one day be the king. I don't, we don't even know by the record if Samuel even told Jesse or even David what he was being anointed for. It's possible that he did in private, but perhaps not publicly. And did you know you can be anointed and be sent right back to the same place that you used to be? To sometimes be challenged to, by the Lord to prove your dependency upon the new anointing that's now in your life? So David there with the oil of gladness flowing off of his young locks and the smell of the fragrant oil, perfumed oil upon his body is sent right back to the sheepfold to take care of his father's sheep because God will prove your dependency upon him and his anointing in your life. Paul later said this, it is God that hath anointed us. And he said this as well. He said, our sufficiency is upon him. Our ability is derived from him and from his anointing. And so I believe during this time period, I've got to leap ahead in part of the story. So I'm in a storytelling mode today, and I've got to leap ahead to tell you. So when he went back to the sheepfold, it is our belief that during this time period, from the time that he's anointed until he is called out of the sheepfold, that we read about in Psalm 78, 70, God chose David out of the sheepfold, that there were certain experiences that took place in his life that would help provide or prepare him for a greater climatic moment in his life that all the world would hear about and are still hearing about it to this day forward. He goes back to the sheepfold. Perhaps it's there in the sheepfold now that he begins to pen the Psalms. The Spirit of God's upon him. And perhaps now he looks up into the night sky and he sees things with a different lens. He sees things as a result of the glory of God working in his life. The Scripture tells us sometime during this time, by his own mouth, David said, during this time period, that he was keeping his father's sheep. Perhaps it's at night because it seems like the enemy likes to still come stealth in darkness. And while he's keeping his father's sheep, that the scripture says by David's own mouth that a bear, a bear came out of the bushes and took hold of a little lamb. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was pandemonium in the sheepfold when that took place. And the sheep are scattering and the bear catches hold of the lamb and begins to run away with it. That sheep is baying, bah, calling for its mama. The teeth are bearing down upon it. And David, the young shepherd boy, rises up. Something begins to agitate. Maybe this is the very first time he's ever experienced it. But something now that goes beyond just oil on the head. But a supernatural power begins to rise up on the inside of him. And rather than just scratching it off the list, I had 100 sheep. And now I got 99. He jumps up in the middle of the night and he runs the bear down supernaturally by the power of God, catches the bear and takes the lamb right out of his mouth. Glory to God. Can you imagine when he gets back to the sheepfold and he's wondering and he's got that nervous energy and he's like, what in the world just happened? The supernatural power of Almighty God had come upon him. God was proving him, preparing him for a greater battle to come. Well, a little few days later, very possibly, a similar situation plays out. And so this particular time, it's not a bear that comes out of the bushes, but it's a lion. And once again, the same supernatural power of God comes on him. 
and he runs a lion down. I know David was probably fast, but I doubt if that he could run down a lion naturally if it was not for the supernatural power of God. But I love what David said when he's telling this story. I'll tell you in a moment when he's telling this story. But he said, I caught it by its beard. You know the mane of the lion that goes all the way on the top and comes down here? David said, when I caught hold of it, I snatched it by its beard and I pried its mouth open and I took the little lamb out and I freed the lamb but he said I wasn't through this time he said I killed the lion glory to God and I want you to know today that when you understand that you have been chosen and anointed the anointing of God must be proven in your life and God will send you back to some menial tasks some things that seem simple some things that you think well why should I be here right now it's because God is proving your dependency upon him I can only imagine to the daughters of the other side there's a little bit of frustration at times when you get up and every morning you got to make your bed or you get up and you got to make sure the toilets are clean that you get up and you got to make sure that the house is spotless and you get a little bit aggravated when sister Shannon is saying I want it done like this it's because you are being proven by the spirit of God for greater battles in front of you and if you can't master the little things are you out there if you can't master the little things then you may not be able to master the greater. Our church family is familiar with a story that I've told many times, but I'm going to drop it down in your heart. Years ago when I was in the United States Air Force basic training, I will never forget this the rest of my life. We had to fold our underwear in basic training in a six-inch square. Now, let me tell you, it was challenging. And now, see, we live in the boxer brief generation today. It's easier to get boxer briefs folded in a six-inch square. But we were living in the whitey-toddy generation. And I'm telling you, it was not the easiest thing. And you had to get the wrinkles out of it, and you have to iron it, and it had to measure. And the T.I. would come in, and he would take a measuring stick out, and he would measure it. And if it was six inches and a quarter, it was too long. If it was five inches and three-quarter, it was too short. And he would dump your drawer out and dump your drawers out at the same time. He would dump your drawers out of your drawer. Come on, somebody. Because he wanted you to do it right the way that he said. And I can still remember when we had a young airman that was watching the, him teach us about folding our underwear in a six-inch square. And the young airman asked him, and he said, How come I'm in the United States Air Force that I have to be concerned with folding underwear in a six-inch square? And that T.I. was wearing the brim of his hat inside, which other people typically don't, but he did on that moment. And he raised his head up and he looked at that young man because he was teaching us how to fold our underwear in a six inch square and he said this he said if you cannot fold your underwear in a six inch square how do you expect me to put a wrench in your hand and send you out onto the flight line and let you work on a 30 million dollar aircraft and you don't have the discipline in your life to fold your underwear in a six inch square and so I want you to know there are menial tasks in your life when you get frustrated, aggravated. They seem below you. But God is proving the anointing of God in your life because you are learning to serve, to learning right here. But he's going to take you to a higher plane. But if you don't let him prove you here, you'll never go where he wants you to go. Glory to God. Did you know the next place that David was found himself? He was once again chosen. But this time, not by God, but by the king. Because when the Spirit of God came upon David, this is the story. I'm just going to preach it in my heart. Y'all got to give me the time to do it. Come on now. I'm, I'm not finished. I'm not even close. 
because there is such a depth to this that you got to let me unfold for you here today. But he was chosen from the sheepfold when a troubling spirit begins to trouble the king. The king who rejects, not, not, not David, but Saul still the king. If you know the story, his mind becomes troubled because of his disobedience to God. And evil spirits gain access to him. And the men of his court began to notice that when soothing spiritual music is played, it begins, it seems to help the king. So somebody said, we need to get somebody that's skillful that can play on an instrument to help the king out. And somebody speaks up and said, hey, I heard about this young man. I've heard there's some exploits. How many of you know your anointing begins to cast out a testimony? And he said, I heard he's a, he's a man of war. He'd never fought against anybody, but he had fought a bear in line, and word was getting out. And they said, well, let's bring him back. They brought him in somehow, some way. I don't know all the details of it. It's not all filled in. But while the king is in his home and the evil, troubling spirit begins to come upon him, the anointing of God comes upon David and David takes a stringed instrument and begins to play the stringed instrument and 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 it begins to drive away the demonic powers that are tormenting the king so what we're seeing here listen to this we see David growing in the anointing first the anointing has come upon him and he's overcome a bear and a lion but now he's overcoming an evil spirit who is troubling someone else God is growing David and preparing him for a climatic moment in his life where his anointing will be proven unlike any other time in his life. Let me tell these ladies here today, there's an anointing in your life. It was present in worship. You helped lift our worship service today. But you're still in the sheepfold. The anointing is not just in the sheepfold. There's going to come a day when you're going to have to face an accuser. And you ain't got all these sisters around you to aid you in that particular moment. And you've got to prove it now. And if you prove it now, I'll tell you, if it works now, it'll work then, glory to God. But you've got to let God work this in your heart and life. What is this climatic moment? This is where the end of the message will begin to focus upon. There's a depth to it. It's one of the most familiar of all stories. The 17th chapter, the passage turns to the 13th or the 16th chapter to the 17th chapter. Saul, still the king of Israel, troubled in spirit, though the land of Israel is invaded, not from a far-off army, but from a seacoast faring, a seafaring people called the Philistines, the southwestern side of Israel, the coastal line of the Mediterranean Sea, was still inhabited by people that dwelt there from the time that Israel had entered into the promised land, the Philistines. And they've moved further inland, and they've encamped against Israel. So Saul leads his army to camp against the Philistines. Now, during this time period, David is sent back home from the king's house. And once again, he's back to keeping his father's sheep. He's gone from the king's palace fighting demons and devils under the anointing of God to bah, bah, in the sheepfold. Well, along the way... The scripture says that they're camped across a valley. They're camped across this valley. It's called the Valley of Ella. And this is the way it was done in ancient warfare at times. The armies of the Philistines got on one mountain. And the armies of Israel got on another. And they kind of stood there intimidating one another. Maybe one of them would flee as a result of intimidation. But day after day drew on and nobody's fleeing. But something begins to take place. 
a champion of the Philistine comes from amidst the armies of the Philistines and goes to the valley and begins to challenge Israel. Send me a man to fight. We don't all have to fight. Just send me one man. And day after day, now there's something unique about this man. He's not just any average man. He is nine feet, nine inches tall. He is a giant. Just the sight of him is striking fear into the Israelites. The Bible says that when they saw him, they were afraid and fled to their tents. And notice the words, and we can't overlook this. We don't have to fight entire armies, Goliath issues out uh, a challenge. He said, he says, listen, listen, there's such depth. He said, you send a man, we'll fight. And if your man beats me, we'll serve you. But if I defeat him, you will serve us. Did you know generations can often be affected by one person learning to overcome the Goliath in their life? Entire generations can be made free or brought in bondage based upon your ability to overcome or whether or not you are overcome by your trial. So along this journey here, the son of the, uh, Jesse, eldest three sons, have followed King Saul to the warfare. And after these many days have passed, no word has come about the battle. And so the, the father is anxious. I have three sons in the military right now. And so I would be anxious as well if there was conflict and I didn't know anything about the results of the conflict. And so he chooses David once again from the sheepfold and he gives him provision and he sends him with the provision to check on the war and see how things are going and make sure his brothers are still alive. And so he loads up with, with, with just cheese and bread and, and, and I, I think some other, uh, so, some other provisions. And he makes his way from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah. And it's not that far. And once he arrives there, he comes into the camp and he gives the resources to the, to the people of Israel. And he begins to kind of inquire how things are going. And about the time that David is coming into the camp, Goliath comes out of the camp of the Philistines walks across the valley and begins to echo the same challenge that he has challenged Israel for 40 days up until this time. Send me a man to fight. And once again, the sight of the giant sends panic or fear to the house of Israel. But here's what I learned about those that are chosen and anointing. What causes others, what agitates them to fear, agitates us to action, glory to God. And when the accuser on the battle floor, on the valley floor, begins to accuse the, the, the armies of Israel, David is bothered by it. It begins to agitate the anointing of God that's on the inside of him. And he begins to question, and he begins to wonder, and he begins to say, wait just a minute. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And just by that statement reveals to us the depth of David's understanding about being chosen. Because not only was he chosen, but Israel had been chosen. 
And what he's saying when he called him an uncircumcised Philistine, it meant that he was not circumcised in the foreskin of his flesh, which meant he was not in covenant with God. And all the men hiding in tents were in covenant with God. And David's brash, bold faith, agitated by the anointing of God, said those profound words, Who is this man that's not in covenant with the God of Israel, that he would come and defy us to our faces? Glory to God. I thank God for the anointing of God. And you need to be chosen, but you also need to be anointed. Hallelujah. And so the agitation to fight the lion in the sheepfold, the agitation to fight the troubling spirits, is now rising up on the inside of him to fight a demonic giant. Glory to God. And so David begins to inquire, what shall be done? What shall be done? What shall be done? And they get word back to him, and they say, listen, he said, you'll get to marry the king's daughter. Proved not to be the best decision. We'll, we'll talk about that earlier, but we won't go there. And he said, but, he said, here's something else. Listen to this. Oh, my gosh, of the divine revelation in this text. He said, you will have your house made free in Israel. Amen. Let me tell you, ladies, if you'll overcome as he overcame, and if you will begin to cast down the things that have plagued you and accused you and have ridiculed you and, bo- and brought bondage to your household, then your family can be made free in Israel. Your family, generations to come, can be made free because of your victory when you face down the thing that has held you in bondage all these many years. And so David then begins to ask so much about it <laughs> that they bring him before the king. And and the king uh, then begins to talk to him. And David then rehearses the story. David begins to... The king said to him, he said, David, I know you. You were in my tent. and You were in my palace. You were in my house back home. And you were playing the instrument. You're but a youth. How can you go and fight him? David said, don't let the heart of any man fail because of fear. Your servant will go and fight him. David, he is a man of war since his youth. And you are but a lad. How will you fight him? He said this. He said, your servant was keeping it. Remember that story I told you about sometimes? Maybe in that moment that he gained a divine perspective. Maybe when all that took place, when he was on the sheepfold and the bear and the lion came in, he didn't understand the ramifications of why he was still in the sheepfold and why he was facing bear and lion and he wasn't going to fight with his brothers in the army. But maybe at that moment, a divine revelation that it was wax on and it was wax off. It was paint the fence. Come on, somebody. It was sand the floor. It was sand the floor because there was a moment at that moment a divine revelation and he looks at the king and says king I got to tell you a little testimony real quick he said your servant was out in the field remember that story I told you he's now telling it before the king and he said king I was keeping the sheep I was just a little lad but I was fresh from this oil on my head and the spirit of God had come upon me and the bear came and the lion came and I don't know what happened I looked up I was running like Carl Lewis and I running down glory to God I caught him by the uh, the beard I rose up and I killed him but he said I want you to know king this right here he said that uncertain circumcised Philistine shall be like the lion and the bear because he's raised his voice against the God of the armies of Israel. Hallelujah. Faith bubbles up and speaks in the presence of doubt. And the king said, all right, all right, we're going to let you go. But you can't go like that, David. And so here's what the story says. It says they began to put the king's armor on him. They began to put his coat of mail, they put a helmet of brass, they gave him a sword and a shield bearer. And David, the young 17-year-old, is clanking, trying to walk his way out of the tent, and thank God he had the wisdom to know. He stopped. And this is where, again, the revelation proven. He said, 
I haven't proved these. I haven't proven these things. Said, so I, I can't go with these things. There would come a day David would, would prove those things, but not that day. But not that day. He said, I haven't proven those things. Well, David, how are you going to fight the giant? He said, I'm pretty familiar with a leather strap and a brash faith in God. And he goes down to a brook. And there, looking in the brook, he chooses five smooth stones. Now, that alone is a point of divine revelation that I can't, I can't let you out of here without telling you these things. God put these in my heart yesterday to tell you today. I've heard for years, well, why did he choose five smooth stones? Did he think he was going to miss? Did he think it would take five? I don't know. Some have said it's because the giant had four other brothers. Did y'all know that there were four other brothers living in Gath? And he thought, well, once I take one down, maybe I'm going to have to knock them all down. I tell you what I really think it was is because there were five books of the Torah. That's right, and it was first written on stone, and then it would be when he put that stone in the leather, it would be wrapped in leather, and it would be like the word of Almighty God. That's what I think it was, that he wrapped it in leather, and he put a stone in leather, and it was like the Torah. And then it said something of this. It said this. It said that he put it in a shepherd's bag. He put those five smooth stones in a shepherd's bag. And I heard a preacher years ago that told about that shepherd's bag. And he said, for, and I don't know this to be the truth. I don't know if this is just legend, but it sure fills in the gap. And I can imagine that it being that case. And, and so it, it, like he said that in that custom, that for those that were brought up in Israel uh, and, and, and had learned truth, it was, not, it, it, it was something that they would often do. But either on the outside of the bag or the inside of the bag, they would then scribe. That's what they call it, a script. They would scribe on the bag a scripture verse. And I was thinking upon that. And I want you to go there with me. Because how many of you knew that today? Do you do that? Do you write scripture verses here, there? Some of the ladies around here might have some tucked away in their purse. So when you, I started to preach this sermon and say, every man needs to carry a purse. But I didn't know how that would go in this generation. And so with that said, here's, listen to this. Listen, let's, let's just act that. Let's just say that when he picked those stones up and he began to open that bag and put them in, what if, what if Deuteronomy chapter number 7 was written on the inside of that bag? And he read this as he's right now just moments away from the biggest battle of his life, but his eyes fall on the scripture that he's written on side of his bag that says this, Deuteronomy 7 and 6, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. David's reading there, God has chosen me to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. Or what about if he read this one in Deuteronomy 7, verse number 24, and there shall be no man that is able to stand before thee. He's about to go out on the valley floor and face the giant that the entire armies of trained soldiers have been unwilling to fight. And now David, with nothing but a sling and five stones, is getting ready to go face in battle. And as he opens this bag up, he is reminded that the God who is a God who cannot lie said that no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And I want the ladies of the daughters of 
of the other side to know. That's why every day somebody is getting up and saying, hide this word in your heart. Write it down. Let it get in here. You're memorizing verse after verse after verse of the Bible. You say, well, I don't really need it right now. That's right, because you're in the sheepfold. But there may come a moment, and there may come a time, there may come an hour when you're back home, and you're back in your same community, and that drug pusher begins to try to push something your way. Or that family member that abused you, you're confronted with. And at that moment of time, that word that you put in your heart, the Spirit of the living God will bubble that thing up on the inside of you, and you will know that you are chosen by God. And the enemy can't stand in front of you. And you'll walk victorious as he is victorious because you hid the word in your heart and life. I got one more I got to tell you about this real quickly, though, before we see the full end of this real quickly today. You just got to get this one, church family. I wonder about this one, though. Deuteronomy chapter number 9, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to put it on the screen. You just got to see it. Here, I just wondered if he had the bag. I should have had Adam. Adam, I should have had your big bag over here. You come in every week with that big bag opened up like that. If we had those scriptures there. What if it read Deuteronomy 9 and 1? Hear, O Israel, you are to pass over Jordan this day to go in and possess nations greater and mightier than yourself, great and faced up in heaven. Second verse, you're going to face a people that are great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, that's the giants that are in the land. Of whom you've heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak? Verse number three, understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them and he will bring them down before thy face and you will drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord God has said unto thee. I just wonder, was that word written on the inside of that shepherd's bag when David dropped those stones inside it? To give him, how many know faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. To close this message off today, follow me just a little bit farther. David begins to make his way out of the armies of Israel to the valley floor of Elah, where Goliath reappears. He's finally obtained a champion from Israel that he can fight. And when he looks up, he sees but possibly a 17-year-old boy with nothing but a stave in his hand and a sling in the other. And when, they, when, 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 the, when, when, when Goliath saw him, he disdained him because he's expecting the most trained soldier of Israel and he thinks he's being mocked by the armies of Israel. And with hatred and bitterness in his heart, he looks upon him and he says, Am I a dog because he had a stave in his hand? Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? Listen to this. Listen. He said, You come here and I will feed you to the fowl of the air. And he began to curse David by his gods. I want the ladies to know this, the anointing of God in your life has to be able to withstand cursing, accusation, falsehood, people saying things about you. Are you out there today? And you not fall into despair, but you've got to know who you are and you've got to know whose you are, glory to God. 
and you got to know what you believe. And in the face of all that type of cursing and accusation, that anointing begins to bubble up on the inside of him. That anointing begins to bubble up. I don't know if he threw his head back, but I would have. He threw his head back, and he began to speak right back to the giant. And he said, you come to me with a sword and with a shield and a spear, but I come to you. I like to put my preacher language on that one. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, the one that you've defiled. And he said, I want you to know today that God's going to deliver you into my hand and I will take your head off of your body and I will feed your carcass to the fowl of the air for this purpose right here that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel who answers not by sword and shield but the battle belongs to the Lord and God will deliver you into my hand glory to God hallelujah And the Bible says that David rose up and he didn't wait on Goliath to come to him, but he took off running. And as he's running, he is in motion. Feet are moving and hands are moving and head is swirling. And he opens that bag. And I wonder when he opened that bag, did he look down one more time? And he said, I will take the giants and I will lay them before you. When his hand reached down in that bag and caught one singular stone, added it to the sling and with one twist of his wrist, The arrogancy of the giant was met by the the bold, brash faith of the giant, or of of the child, excuse me. And that stone launched out of his sling and hit him right in the forehead. Are you out there today? The Lord was putting this on my heart to tell the ladies of the daughters of the other side. There's going to come a moment. You keep shouting at the altar. You keep getting full of the Holy Spirit. Because you're in the sheepfold. Don't let other people judge you because you're shouting in the sheepfold. But I want you to know there's going to come. That anointing's not just for you to shout in the sheepfold. That anointing's going to be when you go back home to your family. And all those generational curses. Are you out there? And all the things that were said to you and spoken about you and others that don't believe in you and the people that raped you and the people that hurt you and the people that you hurt and that pusher and that drug addict and all those things begin to falsely accuse you and they want to dominate you. It's at that moment that the same anointing, if you've proven it right here in the sheepfold, uh, then that anointing will begin to rise up on the inside of you and you will know something. You will know something. What will you know? You will know a simple little revelation to Twofold in truth. I am chosen and I'm anointed. And I want you to know today, crystal meth cannot control you. I want you to know the bondage of addiction cannot control you. The bondages of what people try to say about you or do to you cannot control you. When you are chosen and anointed, you know that if God be for you, then who can be against you? I want you to know. I want you to know this today. David did not carry a shield in the battle. Why did he not carry a shield? Because he said, I come to you today, John, in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the last I read, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it. And we are saved. As long as we got the anointing of God on our life, called of God, named by him, there's no giant that can stand in front of us because of whose we are. Glory to God. Hallelujah today. And a great victory was won, not just, not just for David, but for generations. 
I'm going to ask Aaron to join me on the platform today. Oh, hallelujah today. Lastly, lastly today, how many believe in the authority of the Word of God? Let me tell you a little bit about it, see if I can piece this all together here for just a moment of time. So, Goliath was of Gath, which is a city of the Philistines. It's on the southwestern shore of the land of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. And so, but the text we read was in Deuteronomy chapter number 9, and it was called the Anakim. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, there was a major stumbling block when they were in the wilderness journey. When God chose 12 men to go in and spy out the land. And when he spied out the land, and they spied out the land, they came back, and they brought the fruit of the land. Most people that have been around church know a little bit about that, and it may be a new story for some of you here. And they say, they say, give us a report. Well, they said, well, I'll tell you what, it's everything we thought it was. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. They had carried a cluster of grapes between us, two men carried it on a stave. That would have been impressive. I'd hate to walk out of harps with that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, and he said, but, but, but what did you see? And they said, but, but we saw the people. And the people, they saw the Anakim. They saw the Anakim, and they were tall people. And here's what it said. Here's where they stumbled. Here's where, they, here's where Israel stumbled. Israel stumbled because they said, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. That's half of the stumble. But he said this, but we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And when you begin to listen to what other people say about you to the degree that it affects the way that you view yourself, the enemy's got a stronghold in you. They couldn't win the victory. They stumbled in unbelief. That was their perception. Now later, 40 years later, when a new generation came, they brought warfare to the Anakim. They did. But they didn't give them all. If you'll read the book of Judges, I believe it's the 11th or the 12th chapter, there's a little passage there that says Joshua brought war against the Anakim and won victory over many of them, but not all of them, for some fled, and they fled to the coastal cities including Gath. So most scholars believe that Goliath was a descendant of the Anakim that had caused many generations of the Israelites earlier to stumble in the wilderness. And I tell you what, it was as if God said, we're going to bring this thing to a close. And the and the trauma of the past is going to have to be confronted by the promise of the future. Are you out there today? So the trauma of the past is going to have to be confronted by the promise of the future. And that promise is, is staked in this two-fold principle. God said, I'm going to choose one out of the sheepfold. He's going to be anointed. And he's going to go and do what the other generations failed to do. Now, why am I telling you that and why am I telling these ladies this? I just believe generational. People talk all the time about generational curses. I believe in generational blessing. I believe God is just waiting on somebody. God is just looking for somebody that has the divine revelation. They're chosen and anointed. And when they're chosen and anointed, when they fight that giant once and for all, they break that thing not just off of them. Come on, but they break it off of their household, glory to God. And generations, families can be set free 
and have a future and a hope because you were disciplined enough to go through the the mundane tasks that Sister Sharon and others ascribe to you day after day and not knowing that you're being proven. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence for a climatic moment when you will look crystal meth in the eye once and for all and you will win the victory to the glory of God. Well, you will look at your abuser in the eye and you will win the victory in Jesus' name. You will have no malice or hate in your heart that the enemy can get a hold of you because you are a You are chosen and you are anointed of the Lord. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm so thankful for Jesus today, aren't you, church family? He was the chosen one, and here's the revelation. He chose you. You wouldn't be here today. You didn't find the Lord. He found you, and he brought you here today. And I tell you what, get the anointing of God on your life. What I'm going to do to close this service is, the one thing that I can promise you is I can anoint you with oil. I can be like the prophet Samuel. I can anoint you with oil. But you've got to use your faith to say, God, if I'm chosen, then I've got to be anointed. Come on, somebody. This is the fi- y'all, see, you're new. The ladies here are new to the series that we've been on. The series we've been on is on the Holy Spirit. And so today, to culminate, to bring this to a climatic end before I turn this over to the evangelist next week, Chosen, yes, chosen by God. But I'm not just chosen. I'm anointed. I'm anointed. And, and, and listen, it doesn't produce arrogancy. It produces faith. Faith, confidence. Not in yourself. Not in yourself at all. Our flesh is a stench in the nostrils of God. <laughs> the psalmist David would later repent some of the most beautiful and powerful psalms. We still sing them and quote them, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Come on, somebody. The poetic psalms that God kept to him. But he also planned another psalm, Psalm 37, where he wrote these words right here. By my God, by my God, I shall run through a troop. I wonder. I wonder when he remembers that. What do you mean, Pastor Brown? He said this. By my God, I shall run through a troop. And by my God, I shall leap up over a wall. I wonder if that divine revelation is coming to him and he's pinning this psalm that we will sing for thousands of years in the people of God, the assemblies of the people of God. And we will say those are, by my God, I will run through a troop. And by my God, I will leap up over a wall. I wonder if in his mind he remembers that faithful day when the armies of Israel are shaken in fear on the hillside. And he's a lone figure on the battlefield looking at the giant when the anointing of God came upon him. And by his God, he ran through a troop. And by his God, he leaped up over a wall. I'm telling you, church family, I'm so thankful today for two things. I'm chosen and I'm anointed. Do you have that revelation today? Do you have that revelation today? Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed today in the presence of the Lord. I know I've probably preached a long time to you today. And uh, I can't apologize to you. I was so excited to bring this word to you today. But I'm going to give a twofold invitation to an altar call today. And I know there's already been a work, a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And, and I don't have to go back and try to recreate that moment. I've learned. You let those moments happen. Come on, somebody. You let those moments happen because there's layers. There's glory to glory to glory. 
These ladies have, have visitors coming in that they're going to see today. They've got, they're going to be going back. But I'll tell you what, I don't want them to go back without having the opportunity to have heard, number one, that they're chosen. Number two, to be anointed with oil. Briefly today, as a, as, as a, mar, excuse me, as a mark or a moment or a, as, a, as a point of reference to this sermon, that when they walk out of this room today, they'll have, the, they'll have the confidence to be able to say, I was chosen, I am chosen, and I'm anointed. I'm chosen and anointed by my God. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to first send an invitation to you and extend an invitation. There may be somebody here under the sound of my voice that you say, Pastor, am I really chosen? You're chosen. If your heart is pricked and you've desired God in your life, then he chose you. He chose you today. Maybe you have never made that profession of faith in Christ, that belief and acknowledge by repenting of your sins. See, if you're chosen, you'll repent of your sins because you want to be pleasing to him who chose you. Did y'all hear that? I said, if you're chosen by God, you will. It's not, it's not anything difficult for me to ask you to repent of your sins. You desire to repent of your sins because he chose you. If there's somebody under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I've been coming to church and God's been doing something in my life. I just didn't know what it was. But today I realize that I've been chosen by the Lord. And I want to I profess him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus said that. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Can you hear him today? He's knocking. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor Brown, pray with me today? Is there anyone else today? Pastor, pray with me today. Pray with me that I'd have that revelation of being chosen. Secondly today, secondly, chosen and anointed. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Here's how I'd like to do this today, just real quickly today. Now, when this part is finished... To our church family that's present in this room today. You can't let these ladies leave without letting them know through a hug, looking them in the eye, how much you appreciate them being in service with us today. Isn't that right, Alicia? Because we appreciate them being in service with us. They've blessed us by their presence being here today. They may need your warmth, your touch. They do need your warmth and your touch. But if you're here today, if you're here, and you want Pastor Brown to come quickly to you, I'll bring the anointing oil. And I'll, I won't pour it. It won't flow down like David. I can promise you I won't ruin your shirt today. I just believe in symbolic moments that cast prophetic promise. I'll anoint you with oil. You just ask the Lord. You, you seek him for the power of his Holy Spirit. And it doesn't end here. You seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Ask and you'll receive. You say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let me walk in your power. Let me learn to trust. And many of you are already Shatakai or Amen. Many of these ladies, the baptism of the Holy Spirit's already come their way. But I want them to begin to prove that anointing. Come on now. I want them to begin to prove that anointing. Folding that underwear in six-inch squares because there's going to come a moment. There's going to come a moment that's going to be a bigger giant than just you getting mad at your sister in the sheepfold. Right? It's going to be, you're going to face down a giant that's really ridiculing you, and you need the anointing of God in your life in that moment. So I believe in these symbolic moments where we anoint with oil because we're just saying, God of heaven, we need your blessing. 
It's right at the noon hour. I probably, I've preached a long time. I know it. But I'm going to ask anybody that says, whether it be these ladies or anyone else, just make a line in the front. I'm going to come to you by faith. I'm going to anoint you with oil. Anybody wants to put a hand on somebody's shoulder and pray for them today. But we're just going to, I almost call this just an anointing service. Because that was my desire, was to just say, God of heaven, let us have the anointing of God in Jesus' name. The anointing of God. Come on, church family. Is there any of our church family today? Come on, that says, Pastor Brown, anoint me with oil today, and let's just believe God. And I want our church family to pray, to just pray. If you don't come forward, promise me you'll do something. Promise me that you'll just pray. And if you can, stay. Stay to tell these ladies how much you believe in them, how much you confess that we're trusting the Lord. God, we want your anointing. Isn't that right? Come on, church family. Y'all, let's just reach our hands out. We're praying today. It's the anointing of God. Come on, we want the anointing of God. I'm representing the faith of this church family. I would love to see some here today. I think that Sister Sharon would be okay if some of you come up behind some of these ladies and just give them the support. They're here today. They need your support today. The Bible says that David was anointed in the midst of his brethren. In the midst of his brethren. The Spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. Father, I...